You're listening to the Fitness and Wellness Class, powered by NASM. NASM's new subscription service, NASM Connected, is the best value in fitness. When you sign up, you'll get access to everything you'll need to expand your career, master new disciplines, and stay up to date with your certification in one great package. Gain instant access to over 350 online fitness courses available anywhere, anytime, on any device. Earn CEUs for dozens of approved providers. Plus, unlock articles, webinars, videos, and podcasts from the biggest names in fitness. Don't wait. Sign up today and unlock the best content in fitness at the best price. Get connected at nasm.org connected or call one 800 460 6276. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the session. This is how to fix the three main movement compensations in linear speed development. My name is Chris Eklund, and uh, I've got my information, my contact info on here. Um, welcome to use that. That's my, my personal email address. And I always like to say this up front, um, especially in a situation like this, you know, where we're doing these recordings and uh, you're going to be accessing these a little bit later. I'm going to try and move through these as quickly as I can just to make sure that we can cover as much content as possible. So if you desire my slides um, at any time, please shoot me an email. I'm happy to get those to you just so that you've got something that you can can have visually to review um, later on. So please let me know at any time if you want those. Uh, also, the social media stuff, I've got my stuff a little bit on there. Uh, I'd love to connect with you and stay in touch with you. Uh, certainly like to build a community with people that really care to learn and grow and, um, and put some good information out there. So uh, reach out to me on whatever um, medium that you tend to use. Uh, I tend to be on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn uh, the most and a little bit on Facebook. So whatever works best for you there. The quick about me, uh, I'm the owner, owner of Prevail Conditioning Performance Center uh, in Santa Barbara, California. Um, part, I should say, actually co-owner. I've got a, a business partner and also still function as a, a strength and performance coach and a manual therapist uh, here at our facility. Uh, I am a master trainer and instructor with the National Academy of Sports Medicine and have been so for, I think it's been five, six years now. A wonderful company, obviously, um, a, a company that does a great job, and I'm sure that's why you're here um, at the conference, a virtual conference, learning from uh, all the great people that uh, are here to instruct. Uh, and then the other thing that I do is a little bit of part-time work at a local college here in Santa Barbara. Where I do some uh, adjunct faculty work for the kinesiology department, uh, which is a blast hanging out and working with college kids. So as always, um, I'd like to thank those of you that uh, have taken the time um, and uh, invested the money into spending time with us at this convention. Uh, I'm always thankful for people that do that because I think there is a number of those that are out there in the industry that, that don't do that. And so it's important to me, I, I know that it's important to you to raise the bar of, uh, of those of us that are in the industry and make sure that what we're doing, the ways that we're helping people continues to grow and get better. And, and uh, we uh, encourage the growth and um, uh, the integrity and the reliability of the craft and the industry. So thank you for being here. And certainly thank you for spending some time with me at my sessions. And I hope I can um, do my due diligence and give you some valuable things that will be helpful for you in uh, your career.
All right, this is the agenda for the day, for our hour, the big three. So I wanna go over the big three compensations for linear speed development uh, that I see. Uh, talk a little bit about what, what is linear speed, just so we're clear about um, kind of some of the facets of that. And then how do you fix those things? Uh, so real simple, we'll get into it, get going, and uh, talk about hopefully some, uh, some good, important things that'll help you. And I put this in here purposely for myself this year. I always tend to do tons of introduction. I think I did a little bit better job this year um, of not, not spreading that out too long or, or elongating that process. But my goal is just gonna be to get into it and get going because our time is short. So my hope is that we can just kind of jump in and get going and I'll give you kind of the answers to the test, which actually I believe we, we do actually have some quizzes that are coming along with our sessions this time for some CEUs. Okay, so here they are. These are my big three um, that I see. Uh, postural compensations, pattern compensations, performance compensations. You got three nice little P's there to remember those by. So the big one for postural is really is, is kind of what's going on at the hips and the lower back there, right? That lumbo pelvic hip complex area. And then we've got pattern compensations. You know, what, what are the actual um, patterns that are being uh, performed um, in the movement, right? And, the, and, and just from a pattern standpoint, there's just some real simple things that go wrong all the time that we can do some simple things to help to, to correct and clean up and, and uh, ingrain in the performance. And then ultimately, we've got the performance. So, you know, hey, posture's great. Hey, move great. Get on the field. Looks horrible. You know, what do we do about that? I mean, in the end, uh, you know, for a lot of us, whether you're working with um, – uh, high, junior high, high school, collegiate, professional athlete, or if you're working with, you know, the adult athlete, those that just want to stay healthy, um, be well, play in their city league soccer, volleyball leagues, um, they can do it in the facility, right? They do it in your gym, but then they get out there on the, the playing field and uh, and they fall apart, right? They just can't perform. You know, what 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 could um, decrease that that loss of performance that actually happens once they get out onto the playing surface? How do we help them transfer that stuff from the weight room to the field, right? So there's some, some real simple things that we can do there that help, okay? And the reality is, like there's tens of hundreds of, of compensations that are gonna happen in these movements, right? We're moving a lot of joints, we're moving a lot of body parts. There are so many things that can go wrong, but, but what we're looking at is, is fixing some big things, right? Looking at the big picture, and, uh, and then we can get back into some of the nitty gritty. And I like to use this, um, uh, I, th I think it's, it's, it's either called the 80-20 principle or sometimes I've heard it referred to as the Pareto principle um, with our strength and conditioning programs. And that's, that's a simple perspective of, let's look at um, the, the most important 20% of, of what we can do for people that are gonna get us 80% of the value, right? Instead of looking at, you know, the other 80% of things that might only give us that 20%. So for a lot of our athletes, we're really looking at, let's look at the big rocks and see if we can uh, improve those, right? Get those things in place a little bit better. The foundational stuff that are going to really give us a, you know, a big bang for our buck um, for those clients and, and make sure that we see some big improvements. And then we can get into all the other stuff later. But for a lot of our, our athletes, a lot of our um, people, it doesn't have to be extremely complicated to make some real big improvements. Okay. And then we're coming back to you know, like, okay, great. Well, what does a good and, or a great strength and conditioning program do for people? Those are really the two, right? We want to make sure that we limit injuries and then we can make some great athletes or good athletes, depending on who we're dealing with and what they're trying to do. But we want to limit the injuries. We want to make them better athletes. And so sometimes I think, 
um, you know, we get a little caught up in, in some some extra stuff here. And and I think that mentality a lot of times is when we're, we're doing all this linear speed stuff, um, we get caught up into maybe trying to make our athletes into great lifters, right? But reality, we should be making great athletes by becoming good lifters. Likewise, you know, if we look at the, the linear sprinting stuff, we're not trying to make, you know, our, our 35-year-old um, sand or, you know, volleyball player, beach volleyball player into a world-class sprinter. That, that is just not what we're trying to do here. All we're trying to do is take some great things from uh, the, the realms of, of um, sprinting and track and field, right, the great sprinters, and say, hey, if we can apply some of those those big rocks to our volleyball person, we're going to make them a, a better athlete by doing some better sprinting, right? We're not trying to make them into sprinters. So keeping that in mind as we're going through and dealing with some of these big rocks. Okay? And this is just a little bit more about perspective here, what we're trying to do in the strength and conditioning industry. We're not, we're not trying to make great weightlifters. We're not trying to make, you know, great track athletes, unless you're dealing with those people, then yes. But if we're dealing with a basketball player, I'm not trying to make my basketball player, my high school basketball player, a great clean and jerk lifter. That's not what their goal is. So just keeping those things in perspective as we go through here. Okay. Not just adding a little bit more on that, right? Trying to make good lifters, good sprinters for our athletes. Okay. That said, let's make good movement happen. And I think that's one of the things that, the NA, that NASN has done well is uh, focus on movement quality, right? So we're talking about compensations today. It's not that we're just gonna try and make it like, okay. We do wanna make it good and clean and quality. So, you know, we're agreeing that even though we're hitting our big rocks, let's make it good, yeah. I'll throw this at you now. I've got some stuff at the end of the slides as well, but uh, these are some of the resources that I went back to. Speed Dynamics um, by uh, Seagrave and O'Donnell. This was some of my early exposure to uh, really acceleration, max velocity mechanics. Uh, and I think their, their early information came out back in the 80s. It's really good stuff. And I still go back and read some of the old articles I, I've got from Lauren Seagrave. So helpful. It makes it so simple. And, um, and they've, they've even got some old, I think they even still might sell, might be able to find some old VHS um, videos of this stuff. Uh, Charlie Francis Training System. This one also back from the 80s. Some great stuff in there. I've heard about it for literally decades. I, I just started to read through it for this presentation. So um, very helpful. The guy was way ahead of his time. Uh, and then, then another guy, if you haven't heard of Lee Taft, uh, great, uh, great guy on linear and multi-directional speed. You'll, you'll hear me refer to him in my other workshop, actually, that will be uh, recording about multi-directional um, uh, speed and agility. Um, he's just a super sharp guy. He's done amazing work in the industry. So it, really anything of his, if you pick it up, is very helpful for um, linear or multi-directional speed. So let's get into it, right? I wasn't too bad, I was about 10 minutes on my intro there. What is linear speed? Okay, very simply, pull this from the, the NASM textbook here, right? The ability to move the body in, in the intended direction as fast as possible, right? Linear speed is a product of stride rate and stride length. So that's, that's typically what, uh, still what most would agree linear speed is. And obviously we're talking about linear, generally speaking, we're talking about sagittal plane speed. I'm moving, right? I'm moving forward, I'm moving backwards, but we're moving straight ahead. That's linear speed. How fast can I do that? Very simple. So for most athletes here, you know, what really um, does linear speed include? Well, kind of these guys right here, right? Acceleration, max velocity, back pedal, backward run. These are generally held as 
the big one. So I'm either speeding up, I've sped up and I've achieved my maximum speed. I'm speeding up backwards or I'm going backwards and I've, I've hit my maximum speed. Okay. Now, if you look deep, deeper into track, like even just a forward sprint from the beginning of, you know, the hundred meter dash to the end, I think most would hold that there's five phases of that I've labeled two. So once again, doesn't, doesn't matter that much for um, just our general athletes. That's really, if you're looking more into track, but these are once again, kind of the big rocks that we're dealing with. And the one other thing I'm going to throw in here is, you know, decelerations included in this. Most athletes are not just speeding up, right? We can't just teach them to speed up forward. We can't just teach them to speed up backwards. We've got to teach them how to transition between those two. We cannot leave that out, okay? That would be like teaching jumping without landing, right? You just can't do that. So we've, we've got to deal with this as well. We don't talk about it a lot in, in this uh, particular uh, workshop today, this seminar, but I'll talk about a little bit in my other one. Speed is a skill, right? And that's that's directly from Lauren Seagrave. Speed is a skill. It's not just in an, an innate trait, you know, somebody's born with. Obviously, some people get a little bit of a head start with it, but it is something that, that we can teach, right? We can teach and refine uh, movement. We can improve it. We can improve technique. And yes, we can improve, you know, the power and the strength outputs of these things, okay? Uh, and so the, the speed and the power training will all obviously augment that, but we can improve movement patterns. So that, and that's exactly what we're talking about. So don't let people tell you that, you know, speed can't be learned or can't be gained. Absolutely. It can be gained. Otherwise we really wouldn't have anything to talk about today. Okay. So <clears throat> linear speeds, so I'll break down each of these real quick. And then we're just going to go right back into um, the big three and start knocking out the, um, the issues and the solutions for them. So linear speed, like as far as acceleration is concerned, deals with, generally speaking for most athletes, it's their first two to five steps. If they're a great athlete, it might be more like eight to 10. Most of the athletes we're talking about, it's like two or three, maybe four or five. If they're, if they're great athletes, very explosive and have you know learned some great positions. It's generally speaking, like it's a 45 degree angle lean, right? So you think of the track athlete coming out of the blocks, think that basketball player taking that first step, right? First few steps of speeding up, there's a big lean, right? We got to lean forward. We are speeding up. That's why it's called accelerating, right? Same thing as in a car. Acceleration is speeding up. The leg action is a piston action, right? So we think of the shins. They're just pistons. They're just driving, okay? That's real important there, okay? And this is, this is what most athletes are horrible at. This is what they're not good at. And it's, it's an important part of most athletics, very important part of it, matter of fact. That's why we're going to come back to it. Okay. Max velocity tends to be the top end speed, right? Some people call it absolute speed. Uh, there's a couple other names for it too, but maximum velocity speed, top end speed. Typically speaking, the posture is going to be fairly upright. So this is after those guys have gotten up to full speed. I uh, think of the middle of the track, right? 50, 60 meters, they're upright, very little uh, lean. The leg motion is more cyclical, kind of like they're riding a bicycle there. Okay. And the, the, the important thing to note here, most sports don't do this. Unless you're in track, unless you have more of a distance to cover, unless you're a wide receiver in, in a football, most athletes do not get up to top speed. That doesn't mean that they don't use these mechanics, but they don't get to top end speed. You don't have time to get there. In basketball court, most don't have time, okay? So, um, and, and the other thing to, to note here is there's not as much to work with to decrease time. This is from Mike Boyle, right? You know, so we'll look at we'll look at some numbers in the next slide here, but because they don't, most athletes don't get into this a lot, and because 
uh, it's really hard to improve these speeds. It's probably not a great um, of great value for us to spend a lot of time working on these with most of our athletes. It ultimately doesn't translate onto the field as well as we would like it to. Okay, so. Oh, sorry, we'll come back to those numbers in just a minute here. Okay, um, <clears throat> so uh, linear speed athletes, we've also got the back pedal. Like I said, ultimately this is likened to the acceleration phase of the speeding up, speeding up phase going backwards. Okay, low postures, right? Quarter squatted, half squatted position there. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on these today, just pointing them out. And then backward running really is kind of like that max velocity. You're upright, it's more of a cyclical motion there, right? And you're moving as fast as you can. Okay, and then the deceleration, right? We've talked about this a little bit already. We've got to teach our athletes how to change from one to the other. Uh, okay, so but back to Boyle's comments here. Great sprinters, the first 10 yards, take about uh, 1.5 to 1.8, um, uh, sorry, that's, that's in 10 yards and that's in seconds, right? So in 10 yards, they're gonna get uh, about, it's gonna take about 1.5 to 1.8 seconds. The next 10 yards is about one second. The next 10 yards takes about one second. The next so the point of this is if we're going to decrease something, something that's already low is tough to decrease. But if we talk about that 1.5 to 1.8, hey, if we can get a tenth or two tenths there, this is great, right? And like I said, this is what determines most sports. It's not how fast they can get. It's how fast they can get fast, right? To get to that ball, to get by that guy. doesn't matter how fast they move once they get up to full speed. If it takes them 50 yards to get up to full speed, you know, play's already over. So it's that first 10 yards really that we're looking at there. Yeah. And so that's where we're going to focus, right? That's where we can gain most of our value for our clients here. Oh, and I already mentioned this a little bit, right? We'll go into some of the others. Um, you know, if you decide to attend my uh, multi-direction training um, uh, seminar, we'll get into some of that other stuff there. All right, so uh, as I was setting this up, I was hoping to be able to show you this video here, but with the medium, the way that we're doing it, won't be able to show you this video. However, I've got the link so you can type it in and take a look at it for yourself. But this is a slow-mo of Justin Gatlin, one of the great sprinters of all time. It shows his first two steps. So the big things that I'll point out here, notice the body lean. Notice his trail leg coming out of the block. Notice that lead leg. They are parallel, right? And that's all they do. They just piston, just like that, right? Okay, he's got great posture. His head is down a little bit. You know, he's a world-class athlete. You know, I'm not gonna say anything about that. Our, our you know, junior high, middle school, high school, college, athletes, we're probably gonna do a little something with that head, but you can also, he's got great arms, great spread there. So you can see those those patterns are reinforced there. And, and if you want to, here's the link that you can take a look at that video with. It's just it's a YouTube link um, and it does it it does it nice and slow. So you can really see his what his body motion is for those first couple steps, how he puts force into the ground, how he holds his posture, all those great things. Very cool. Okay. All right, so keys again if we're, we're getting back to it. Okay. And these are the things that we look at for um, for improvement here. Body position, shin angles, leg action, ground contact, ankle foot position, arm action, and then force application. So if we're looking at what has to happen here, we're looking for a roundabout, that 45 degree angle, right? And you can see Usain, and then we've got a rugby player here. Notice, it's right, this is the, this is the application. The great sprinters, we try and make it look like that on the playing field because it works, okay? So we're looking for that lean. We're looking for those shin angles to be as parallel as possible. Do that piston action, not a cycling, okay? And then we're making sure that when that ground contact happens, it's behind the center of gravity, right? It's gotta be behind so I can push myself forward, 
okay, in order to speed up. And then we're looking for the ankle position of a relative dorsiflex, okay? Major problem with a lot of people is they're running with their toes pointed. That's gonna slow you down. We lose stretch shortening cycle, we lose elasticity, okay? It takes time to lengthen before you can contract. But if we hit the ground, right, and that, 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 that ankle's loaded, man, it's gonna just, it's gonna explode and snap, okay? Arm action is aggressive, right? We're looking for, I always say cheek to cheek, right? Should be cheek to that cheek on your rear end there, right? That's the arm action, that's, that's the length that we're looking for there. They can't be small. And then where are we pressing? When we're, when we're trying to move forward, it's pretty simple. You gotta press back to go forward, right? You can't hit the ground out in front and pull. You gotta push, it's gotta be behind that body to move forward, okay? So what's the first problem that we see in the, in the inability of our athletes to do this well? It's a postural compensation, right? They can't maintain postural control. The lumbar spine is all over the place, the hips are all over the place, right? And they're, they're unable to transfer force through their body, right? Why do we care so much about core? Why do we talk about that so much for the last 10 to 20 years? Because we know, right, in order to transmit force from foot to head, it's got to go through the middle, right? Otherwise, if it's sloppy in the middle, we lose that force production, that power, that acceleration as heat, right? Or it's just given off as other directions, wasted motion, wasted energy. So we've got to make sure that we lock down posture. And I, I pulled this from Exos. Those guys are great as well. Order of operations, posture first, then they, we look at legs, then we look at arms, okay? So if the posture's horrible, we're not going anywhere, all right? So what can happen in that posture compensation? We can fall into extension, lower lumbar extension, right? Or you think of that as an anterior pelvic tilt, right? That was another way to look at it. Or it's the other way. So depending on the athlete, they might fall into extension, an anterior pelvic tilt, or they might be stuck in flexion, right? Slouching and a posterior pelvic tilt. So depending on the athlete, you can go one way or the other, okay? They might have a big toed out valgus position that they're struggling to deal with, and we're going to lose some force application or some really kind of goofy um, uh, leg action motions. Or, you know, another big one is this loss of some head position there. So that this is a little bit of a smaller one. We're not dealing with that one today. But those are some of the big ones that I see. So the focus today really is on that lumbopelvic hip complex. Can they keep that position well so they can drive that force into the ground, right, and then transfer that force up through their body so that they can take that, that uh, power and that acceleration forward. All right, so we talked again about that, that 45 degree angle position, and, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier, right? The assumption here is like that forward position is held with a rigid middle, right? If I put force into the ground, that's, that, that force has got to carry through that rigid middle. If not, wasted energy, lost energy, we're not going anywhere, okay? And we talked about this a little bit as well. Right, core is lost. Okay, so here's some real simple examples of core positioning here. So you can see on the far left, what we've got is we got flexion. Okay, so this is this is the person who's stuck in flexion, and a lot of times that happens with some weakness as well as poor cueing. So we'll talk about cueing a little bit. The knee drive is too high. I talk about get those knees up, get those knees up. Don't really like that cue. That tends to really cause this problem right here. Big forward slouch. Okay, the next two, really we're emphasizing some different ways that you'll see that loss of um, lumbar and, and hip posture into extension, right? Falling into extension, okay? Sometimes you see it at, the, at that plant knee, that right knee a little bit, and the hips are, are just lost forward. We've lost that, you know, we got that big C motion, that reverse C concave, or it's, it's right at the hips there. And then that one on the right, 
that's our good posture, right? That's our nice straight line, force into the ground, force carries through the head. All right, so how do we fix that one in particular? Well, that, that pelvic tilt thing, some of this is coaching and cueing. We can just start with some simple things. What are we saying to our clients? So like I already mentioned, the high knees or lift causes the flexion a lot. So you really want to try and be careful of that and stay away from using cues like that. The ways that we cue right, and the ways that we demo to our clients have massive impact to the understanding, right, the way that they're receiving the information as well as the motor output. So cueing and coaching can become huge. And by the way, I'll just throw out, I know Nick Winkleman, he used to be at Exos. He's another great resource and has done, I think he actually just came out with a new book on coaching um, and cueing and how that relates to motor learning. It's a very deep concept, but you know, suffice it to say, what you say matters. And, and a knee lift uh, or high knees really creates some poor movement patterns. So we're looking more for tuck your tail, point your belly button up, right, to keep that good neutral spine position. And then some other simple cues that we can use. And by the way, this, this is if they're in extension, right? We're going to tuck that tail and we're going to point that belly button up, okay? And then some other simple ones you can use. Head to heel as strong as steel, right? From head to toe, from head to heel, we're nice and tight and strong as steel. Sprint up a hill or some other cues you can use. Stay long, okay? Some simple things just from the coaching and cueing perspective there. All right, <clears throat> other things that we can use, the lead leg, drive the knee forward, right? Not high, forward, right? And that's gonna help with, to some extent, the extension and the flexion. Keep the foot low. A lot of times we'll talk about that front foot as kicking a soccer ball. It's low to the ground, it's not high, okay? Or driving that knee forward through a mitt. Somebody's got a, knee, a mitt right in front of that uh, knee, drive it straight through. The trail leg, drive back, explode off the line push the ground away, right? We're thinking about pushing in this. We're not thinking about pulling, we're thinking about pushing. Okay? So some simple cues that we can use to get their mind right that will help them avoid big movement errors. There's a little bit on arm here, we're not talking a ton about it, but I just kind of threw that in there um, as well. Uh, yeah, for some extras for you. Um, two other simple things that I find that can be helpful for some of that, that postural issues as far as the coaching and cueing goes is decrease the angle of the lean. So uh, we're gonna come back to it in a second, but wall drills or doing, doing, moving through some acceleration movement patterns while leaning against a wall are generally held as some very simple common drills that are, are good to do, right? So I like to say this a lot, train slow, move slow, train fast, move fast, but if you can't do it slow, you can't do it fast. How do you teach running and sprinting slow? Well, you can't just go run slow. So you've got to do some other things. And, and a way that you can do that is if somebody's leaning at 45, you can put them on a wall and then we can make sure that we can move slow and just feel the mechanics of that, right? So if the lean is too aggressive, and this is both in actual sprinting and when you're doing your drills, if it's too aggressive, hey, back off, that, right? That's going to take some intensity out of it, some stability demands out of it, some needs for power and strength out of it, just like lightening the weight would for you know a chest press. So take some of that lean out of it. That might help a little bit. The other thing is where are their eyes, right? Head follows the eyes, body follows the head. So if they're doing this, they're probably falling into extension. For most athletes, if they're looking down a lot, they're probably falling into flexion. So check their eyes. Where's their gaze? Maybe five to 10 feet out in front uh, is a way to help with some of that positioning issues. Okay. All right. So putting it all together again, uh, power over quickness. Piston action, stay big, right? We're not looking for quick feet. It's not just drive rate. 
it's stride length, right? Stride rate and stride length. So especially on the acceleration, we're really looking for stride length. Uh, fast feet are way overrated for acceleration. All right, so now what are, what are some drills uh, that you can do uh, that will help? So we got some wall drills, some skips and, and uh, uh, some runs with some pauses and then even some resisted technical marches that can help as well. All right, so here's some of these patterns here. I think I've got some help to get these guys to play for me. Let's see if they pop up here. There we go, getting some movement there. So you can see on the right there, that wall drill pattern, right? That's just working on some piston leg action, right? Wall drill, drive it, pound it back. Okay. And then another phase of this, this is just a load and drive, all right? And then a single rep, load the hips, drop, switch. Okay, some single reps there. And let's see if we can get that video on the left working. See if that guy goes. Oh, we moved on to the next slide there. Let's see, will it work? Maybe. Oh, doesn't look like it. That's all right. Um, so the the video on the left, ultimately, I'll just I'll just jump back here for a second so we can at least look at it. The video on the left there, it's just marching, it's walking. We'll show you another video, but it's a harness held, right? So there's a harness on his chest. He's leaning and he's just marching, walking, trying to get comfortable, you know, stabilizing, controlling in free space there. Okay. So real another real simple one that you can do drills, right? Okay, so then we've got these two videos here. Let's see if we can do the one on the left first. And this is, again, this is just, as we've got that one on the right. Okay, so this is just a run with a pause, right? Run with a pause, piston action, posture. Can you hold position? And we're just doing some stuff slow. See if we can do the one on the left there. If not, oh, hey, we got it. Nice, great work, guys. So this one, there's a couple patterns in here. So let this guy run. We're just marching, marching, pause, marching, pause. I mean, we're just balancing and working on posture. This is a way we can do slow movement and make sure that posture's there. So you see, I had a skip here, skip, pause, skip, pause. Just working on positioning and posture. Real simple drills, very common, okay? So those are some drills you can do. What about strengthening stuff? So I've got a couple listed here, plant, some variations of planks, dead bugs, glute bridges, um, and you can even do some wall drills with some band resistance. Let's go through a few of these. Again, all of these are focused on getting posture better. So guys, as soon as you got it, go ahead and play that video there is fine. Uh, one of the big problems we see with planks is we just do them horribly, right? Whatever it is. So you can see here, I'm trying to break this down, show shoulder position, really pressing through the floor, driving those shoulders forward, big chin tuck, glutes are locked, quads are tight, I'm straight, right? So if I, if I pull this up into a 45, this is the same position I'm in for an acceleration pattern, right? So here's another version. Here's a plank with a march, right? So now shoulders, head, abs, glutes, butt tight. This looks like the same thing that I was doing on the wall. I'm just doing it slow and low, right? So we're working on position. Can I move my legs and not fall into extension or fall into flexion? Very simple. And it really gives you a nice, um, easy way to hold that piston action because you just keep the knee and the toe low, okay? And then I'm just moving into a mountain climber, right? Getting a little bit more aggressive on that pattern, but this is acceleration as well. Okay, really simple drills you can do. You just gotta do them better. Okay, moving on here. Actually, I think I'm doing pretty good on time. I'm excited, I'm always behind. Dead bug, okay? Here's a simple dead bug pattern you can do. Now you can load this in all kinds of ways, but you'll notice I'm doing ipsilateral, left arm, left leg reach, right? 
left arm, left leg reaches long. Why? Because this pattern mimics the sprint. That doesn't mean you can't do a dead bug another way. You absolutely can. But the sprinting, right? I'm gonna move that opposite arm and leg away from each other. So that's the pattern that works there. Here's another one. Compress the physio ball, right? I've got the band on the feet, not the ankles, the feet. So it's working, uh, it's, it's working hip flexors. I'm having to stabilize a ton with my belly. And that way, once again, not falling into extension, not falling into flexion. And you get some other nice benefits out of having the mini band on your feet too, which is working some resisted dorsiflexion. Because once again, I talked about how those toes just tend to dump and point. You've got to make sure that those toes stay pulled up in, uh, in that acceleration pattern as you're coming through so that when you hit the ground, boom, then you can drive into plantar flexion. But that's an easy way to, to practice that pattern. Okay, and then we've got some glute bridge variations. So you can see the one on the left there, right? Got a medicine ball, just showing you how it's tucking my tail there, posterior tilt, notice the foot position. You don't have to do it like this, but this is a good way to mimic the pattern, mimic the acceleration pattern. I've got a little load on my belly, helping me stay braced, giving me a little bit more work, and I'm just doing a bent leg acceleration pattern, right? Acceleration pattern. The one on the right, now is a progression of that. I've got a longer lever. I've got my toes dorsiflect. I got my pelvis tucked. I got some resistance on my belly. And now, once again, I'm doing an acceleration pattern on my back this time. So instead, I, I'm, I'm still working my belly stability, but now I'm really working that glute hamstring on that uh, on the, the, the backside of the body to create some good movement there and not, again, fall into extension or fall into flexion. Loading the system a little bit, holding position, working slow, okay? So those are the big ones. Those are the big guys really that we're dealing with for uh, linear speed compensation, falling into extension, falling into flexion. How do I coach it and cue it better so that the movement happens better? Okay? And then beyond that, how do I stabilize that pattern better? How do I strengthen that pattern better? Okay. And then how do I work some drill patterns that are really going to reinforce uh, the quality of that movement? So simple things, uh, coach it better, pattern it better, and then layer that with some strength and stability so that your client can hold that under some loads and some speeds, right? Pretty simple concept there. Just building into that load and that speed. Okay, our next one, pattern compensation. And this is a huge one that I see all the time, okay? And it is, a uh, uh, if you can solve this one a little bit, it's gonna create some, or reap some great dividends, okay? Uh, because it's such a huge problem. And once again, if we can solve for this, those first 10 yards, those first two to five steps, that's a lot of times when, you know, soccer, you're going to get that 50-50 ball. In volleyball, you're going to be able to get that dig. In basketball, you're going to get that first step by that guy just enough to get, get that land, right, or create that space to shoot that jumper. So uh, cleaning that up is, is extremely valuable. So what's the issue with the pattern? We have, a, we have an incorrect strategy. We're using the wrong strategy. Most athletes that, I, that, um, that I've worked with, and it's literally almost been <laughs> to the person, uh, unless the person has a track background and they've been exposed to it a little bit, almost all the athletes that I've dealt with have used this strategy, this incorrect strategy, okay? Another problem that they run into is just lack of strength or power um, to, to perform at speeds, right? And that's that's something that we'll talk about with, again, strengthening patterns and just increasing the speed. But, but the big one really that we're dealing with here is just the strategy. And here's the strategy, the problem. And we've talked so much about pistons, right? All the legs do in acceleration pattern is they, they move ultimately pretty close to in parallels. 
Okay? So we're forced into the ground, we'll recover the knee. We're forced into the ground, we'll recover the knee. There's nothing cyclical about it. Okay? In the max velocity of that absolute speed, top end speed, it's a cyclical pattern. And, and what most people do is this is the pattern that they use all the time. It's a cyclical pattern. And it's not to be used all the time. It's only to be used after you've accelerated uh, and are at speed, really. Okay. So simple solution that we can do. One of the other ones I find for strategies is this, in, you know, excessive movement across midlines. That's another common one. Okay? That's not the, the biggest one I see though. Okay? So the one that we're going to deal with is the cyclical pattern. Okay. Uh, the lack of the speed, the power, right? We already talked about this. Working slow speed. Or, you know, if people can't do this, why does this happen? Right? If they can't, they, they can't perform the pattern, you know, a lot of times it's going to be related to uh, lack of strength, speed, stability, perform at speeds, or um, they don't have the range of motion to perform these. Okay, so that's another reason that we'll see pattern compensation. They just don't have the, the the tools yet or the skills that they need to do it well. All right, so we talked about cyclical versus piston, piston action, right? Okay, so <clears throat> when that happens, we've got the cyclical thing happening. The, the, the two things that that slows us down with are, well, the, the two drawbacks are we have wasted motion, which is ultimately loss of time. If we're creating excess of motion, typically speaking, that takes extra time. And if we're trying to be fast, we don't have time, right? Speed is time related, so we don't have that. Okay. And the other part of this is really difficult to get good ground contact. We just, I mean, you have to be really, really good to do it. And even still, um, most of the time the force is in the wrong direction, even if you get it in the right place. So we, we just, we can't produce good force and it takes us long. What are we doing, right? Why wouldn't we want to clean this up? Okay. So good and bad pistons. So we'll see here, the one that we're playing right there. Perfect. That's the cyclical motion. Right? That is exactly what we don't want to see. Right? That's a nightmare. Okay, And then the other one we saw a little bit earlier, piston. Shin angles are basically parallel to body angle. I just pounded in the ground. So at no time in a good pattern do we see the heel coming up to the rear end. Do we see the calf smashing into the hamstring? Right? We have distance between those two at all times. It's piston. That's it. So we got to get rid of that cyclical motion. It's real tough to hit the ground in the right spot and it takes a long time and just get that piston. Okay, that's what we're working on. Okay, so fixes again, coaching, cueing, just talking about that with, with the athletes, right? It's a piston stunt cycle, it looks like this, not like this. Very simple way to do it. It's punch, it's stab, it's punch, it's stab. Using that kicking the ball analogy again, kick a soccer ball with your shin, kick a soccer ball with your toe. That's a little bit different, right? Most of the time we don't do toe kicking with soccer balls, but you get the you get the visual there, right? Kick that ball with your toe. That means your foot's got to stay low, okay? And then keep that foot low. That's another way that helps. If your foot's low, you can't go foot high up into your rear end. So that's another way to, to get away from that. Drills. Same ones that we did before. That's the beauty of that one. So we're really kind of killing two birds with one stone, right? The posture one and this, this um, incorrect pattern can be fixed with a lot of our basic pattern work, right? Basic skill drill development. So we don't have to do something uh, completely different. We can fix a lot of things doing some simple drills that are similar uh, for a lot of these issues. Okay? Uh, another one is you, you can use uh, the acceleration ladder. Okay? And this is something I don't go into here, uh, but look up acceleration ladder, look up acceleration drills, 
something really simple that you can do. Acceleration drills help to lengthen strides as, um, as the, the individual speeds up over their first you know, two to eight steps. And a longer stride a lot of times makes it easier to talk about um, keeping that better shin angle. Okay. Another one, and this is a drill I will show, is uh, starting in a two or three point start stance. You can do it in a four point as well, or, or a bunch of other positions for that matter. But the idea is lengthening out this first stride. Okay. And that will help kind of solve for some of these uh, shin angle issues and cyclical problems here. So I'll show you some of those in a moment. Uh, oh, here we go. All right. So one of the solutions that we haven't looked at yet, <clears throat> this drill right here, see if we can get this guy to play. This is, I think I'm starting in a three-point stance here. Three-point start means I've got a hand down and I've got two feet down. That's three points. Let's see if we can get the video to go here, guys. Oh, didn't go. Let me give it another shot. Doesn't look like it's going to go there. Okay, so I'll just give you kind of the quick rundown here. So ultimately what happens is you think of a track athlete starting. A track athlete's in a four-point start. They got two hands down. They got two feet in the box. So you can do that here, two hands down, two feet behind. Or I think in the in the video here I had a one hand down, one foot behind. I'm starting behind that. I think it's an orange cone. I'm colorblind, so uh, if that's red, I apologize. But starting behind that cone, and all I'm really going to do is I'm going to project my body right? Almost jumping really so explosive in that first step that I'm going to project my body and my foot to get past that first cone. And in doing so, I've really got to get long and drive the knee long. And you can't really do that well if you bring the heel into the butt. So getting that long, elongated first couple strides can help clean up that shin angle issue or that heel to butt cyclical action as well. Okay. Uh, so look, again, look up an acceleration ladder and you'll see a little bit more of what I'm talking about there. Apologies that video didn't work. Okay, what about strength and stability? What are some things that we can do to, to help reinforce the patterns through strength and stability? Well, the, the drills that we already did, once again, the, the stability patterns, the glute bridge march, the plank, the plank with you know the march, the mountain climbers, those things that we did before, once again, moving slow, stabilizing, and getting the limbs in the right position, that'll reinforce that pattern. So. You already know those. You can do those for this as well. But here's some strength patterns that you can layer in to this process as well. Step up knee punch, step down to knee punch, okay? reverse lunge, step up to knee punch, and then just some good old-fashioned sled pushes, reinforcing, strengthening the pattern, right? So we know that if you layer strength on dysfunction, you strengthen the dysfunction. Well, you know, vice versa, if you layer strength and stability on function, you strengthen that function. So that's all we're doing here. All right, so we've got a couple different patterns here. All right, so this is a step up to a knee punch, right? So it's an explosive step up, and then I'm really driving that left leg up. Notice I'm keeping my left heel as far away from my glutes and my rear end as possible. There's no heel recovery here, there. There's no butt kick there, okay? And then I've got a reverse lunge to a step up, right? It's like coming out of the blocks, first knee punch coming out of the blocks, first knee punch. And notice that box is not high. That's below my kneecap. You can't make it too high and keep good posture there. And then this other one, I would actually, this is this would be a regressed pattern. So if somebody hasn't done a lot of these, I would start here. Step down cleans up a lot of junk that happens in step ups. So step ups really, from my perspective, is an advanced pattern. Step down, got to demonstrate a lot more strength and stability. So I really like that pattern, reinforces that, that's uh, that piston and uh, keeping the person away from a cycle. Okay, and then we've got a little sled uh, march here. Good. 
Nice. There we go. Maybe run that through a couple times if you can, guys. But ultimately, what do we get here? This is an acceleration pattern. We're leaning. We're putting force into the ground. We've got we've got a weight on that sled. And look at that. If you're looking at that end position there, shin angles parallel. That heel never gets close to the butt. There's no butt kick. And you can see it. But what I'm looking at here is that right leg is finished in the lead and that foot is low. It's about three inches off the ground. That's what we're looking for, foot low. So some simple things you can do, okay? Now, the last thing, right, so we've talked, what have we talked about this for? Talk about postural dysfunction, a lot of the lumbar pelvic hip complex stuff. How do we cue, um, stabilize, and uh, uh, pattern, right? Drill work that sucker better so we get those things locked in. We talked about the uh, pattern issue, right? Uh, and that one is we have a cyclical pattern instead of a piston pattern. Right? So once again, we can drill and we can strengthen out of that. And again, we can coach out of that, talk about the coaching. And then we've got performance patterns. So great, right? Chris, got it. They're awesome in the gym. They're horrible on the court. What's happening? Well, in order to perform on the field, you've got to have context, right? You've got to have context. So if you're not providing context for the athlete uh, in some way, shape, or form, if the coach is not providing that context to build these patterns in, then, then we're right back to set principles, specific adaptation for imposed demands. If I'm practicing uh, an adaptation in one environment and then I'm supposed to perform it in another, this is not the same demands. They're different demands. So the principle of specificity really um, you know, as far as the movement pattern, great is there, but the context, we lose a lot of context. So, so movement patterns are context specific, right? We've got to deal with some of that. What are the cues they should be paying attention to? What are the other patterns they've got to deal with? Are they dealing with a ball? Are they dealing with an implement? Are they playing defense? Or they need to pay attention to a person to and, and respond with these patterns. So we've got to provide some of those contexts for our athletes to perform on the field, right? Specificity is specificity. We've got to show them how to do that. So that's where a lot of times the, the breakdown between the weight room um, or the strength and conditioning stuff doesn't quite make it onto the field. That's what we're dealing with here. Okay. So first thing is this, do they have the reps, right? And depending on what you read, and these are generic numbers here, but typically speaking, a thousand to 3000 reps for motor learning um, needs to happen to occur. Okay. And this is, this is actually pulled from, um, uh, I think actually that, that same text I was talking about earlier with Lauren Seagrave, you know, one of the things he talks about in this, this acceleration text is a simple motor learning uh, process. And it can be very complicated. I don't like complicated. I like simple because my brain's already too complicated. So what we're looking for here is um, uh, a four, four phase model. So we're trying to move people to motor learned, right? They've learned it. They're not learning. They've learned it. A lot of people will call this muscle memory. Well, you know, that's not really what it is. We're talking about motor control and motor learning. So we want to get them to the point of motor learning. That means that thing's plastic. That means they don't think about it. They just do it. And the phases they've got to go through are unconscious incompetence to uh, conscious incompetence to conscious competence to unconscious competence. I think I got that right. Okay. But essentially what we're talking about is they're doing it wrong and they don't know they're doing it wrong. And then they're doing it wrong and they know they're doing it wrong, but they can't fix it yet, right? And that's what you're there to, to help them with, okay? To help to, to help them get to that next phase. Then they can do it right, but they got to think about it until finally they can do it right and they don't have to think about it anymore. That's motor learned. That's what we're looking for. That takes 1,000 to 3,000 reps. So that's why we've got to do it so many times. So that's locked. They don't have to think about it. 
now they can think about the ball. Now they can think about some context stuff. So this, this, right, the, the context stuff really needs to start happening in the later phases of training. If you're looking at NASM model, this is phases kind of four, five, and six that we're talking about here. And that's why, like, adding layers, there's so, so many reps of these drills, right? So many reps. And then you're starting to give them some other visuals, uh, sounds, verbal, so that they begin to get the context of their sport, right? I remember when I was playing, you know, uh, sports in high school, my coach always saying to me, like, we like, what are you looking at? Right. I wasn't that great. So what are you looking at? What are you thinking about? And that was a, I mean, when I think back on that, that was a context question. Am I thinking about the right thing? Am I looking at the right thing in the context? That's what we're trying to get our athletes to do here. So they can full accelerate with the defender on them and they got a basketball and the clock's running down. They're not thinking about accelerating. They just go, right? Because they can, they, all they think about now is the context. So how do we do that? <clears throat> a few different ways. One, right? We do it with different training postures. We've got to get them in sport posture. So, hey, Chris, great on the wall. Chris, great, 2.3.4 point start. Uh, my athlete never does that in the sport. You're right. So, <clears throat> and they don't, most likely, you know, and I'm going to steal this quote from Boyle because I love this one. Most likely, most of our athletes or people are not laying on their back, pushing up. What is that? That's bench press, right? We lay on our back and we push up. So Boyle's quote here is, hey man, if you're a football player and you're laying on your back pushing up, you stink at football, right? You're horrible. Why? Because what does that mean? You got beat, you got tackled, you got taken down. There's a dude on top of you that you're pushing off. That stinks. Okay, so the point here is we need to put them in some sport um, related some sport context positions. So 2.3.4 point, that's just like like doing some bench press here, right? That's just developing some strength and patterns and some basic positions. But then what do we need to do? We got to get on the ground. We got to get them down on the belly. We got to do a push-up start. We got to do a crouch start. We got to do a half kneeling start. We got to get sideways. We got to get on our back and roll over. We got to be feet first. We got to be head first. Okay. We've got to do a fall step, a plyo step. And we'll show some of those. We got to do some rotational starts. These are sport positions. So we've got to get, get the basics and then we layer in more and more of those sport positions so that they can do them from a variety of stances. That's one way that we deal with this. Okay. All right. So let's get some videos going here, guys. Here's some different positions. So you can just see that's a two point start. All right. That's simple, right? I think we got the other one on the right here. What I've got here. Here's a three point start hand, feet. So let's run that, that last one again, guys. Uh, and just this is the same one that I had earlier with the two cones, the white cone and the orange cone. And I'll, I'll, I'm just uh, referencing back to that, that first step, bam, getting that foot long and forward, right? We were talking about fixing those, those shin angles and that cycle pattern. So we get something far out, they gotta get big and long. That's the way that we can fix that one as well. Okay, so two point, three point. On the next slide here, let's see if we got, we got some more sport contact um, positions. We got a four point here. Two hands, two feet. There it is. Good. Now I don't know who this guy is in the video, but I'll tell you what. When we were filming these, it felt like I was moving a lot faster. I think they might have put these in slow mo when when I gave them the videos, but this guy's really slow. Anyway, so you can see little drop step here, drop step. That's that false step. Drop that foot back. Okay. That's that plyo step. That happens a lot in sport. I'm ready position. I got to move forward. I got a plyo step, drop back, and then I can go. Okay. Moving from moving from defense to offense. I'm a tennis player through a drop shot. Got to go. 
Okay, that's acceleration. All right, let's see what we got here. Here's some more positions. I think I got a push up start here. You got down, you tripped, you got to get up and go and catch your guy. Okay. What's my next one there? Or actually, let, let this other one run. I think I got a few different patterns here. So I had push up start and I got a crouch start. I'm getting deep. Got to get deep, right? So there's another one there. I think I've got one or two more on this video. And then we'll look at our next one. Half kneel start, right? This is really puts a lot of drive on that front leg. Big step, right? Strength step there. Okay, I think that might be all on that one. Let's take a look at the other one. That might actually even be the same one. I got an acceleration start there from push up. Let's see what else we got here. Yeah, it looks like I might have the same one there. Crouch start. Yeah, all right, okay. I just wanted you to see me do it one more time, I guess. Very vain. We'll move on. Okay. <clears throat> so other issues, right, that you might deal with can't apply it in different contexts. So we've done it in a bunch of different positions, which can apply to the actual uh, field, but then they've got contextual interference. What are they looking at? What are they thinking about? Okay. Who are they responding to? So some other ways that we can help them with this process is we give them different verbal cues, visual cues. They respond to a voice, a ball, a clap, a whistle, all could be applicable to your sport. Right? Or are they responding to a person? So mirror drills, great way to do this. Uh, and then we've got some, uh, you know, potentially some offensive defensive drills. So we're really getting closer and closer to the context of the sport and the playing field, but we can do it in phases. So moving from kind of a closed circumstance to an open circumstance and go into a little bit more detail about this in my other workshop. But ultimately it's, is the, is the athlete just responding to their own timing or are they getting closer and closer to responding to uh, an opponent, a ball, an unpredictable circumstance. So we're trying to bridge that gap from they're just thinking about their own stuff to I got to respond to something, right? Trying to get them closer and closer to that. All right, so we've got some different things here. So you can see video on the left here. Run that one a little bit. My, uh, my favorite there. Go ahead. Let me look good here. We got a little get up tag. So if you're thinking about the context here, this is getting into some responsive stuff. I'm the one that led that movement. I popped up and then he's chasing me. So he's responding to me, right? Accelerating from a push-up position, got down on the ground. He's got to try and catch me, but he's got to wait for me to move. He's responding to me, okay? Then we've got the one on the, the right there. It's a little ball drive, okay? So the nice thing about this for a lot of athletes, athletes like to compete. You say go 90%, 100%, how do you know? Typically, you know if they've got to either race somebody, catch somebody, or they got to catch something, right? So you give them that incentive to get to that thing. Right? But once again, it's another external responsive cue that they've got to respond to, okay? And then we then we might get into a little bit more of offense, defense, okay? So he's responding to me, right? I'm backing up, I'm speeding up, he's got to accelerate, decelerate. So you're responding to an actual body, right? That's that's sports. Now, actually, you can layer more and more and more skills on that, but that's just an easy way to see you're beginning to open up that skill a little bit and get some sport context to it, okay? All right. This amazing. I think the first time I've actually finished a workshop or a seminar early, I'm very excited about it. Hopefully, I didn't talk so fast that you guys couldn't actually understand what I said, but nice thing about it, I think, is you guys get to review these. Um, and once again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, you've got my contact info. I'll show it again here in a minute, but that'll allow you to reach out to me and I'm happy to send you these slides. Absolutely. So closing thoughts, how do we 
or what are really the, the big three that we're dealing with here for um, improving linear speed, high school, youth, middle school, college, pro athletes. And let me repeat that pro athletes. I can't tell you how many elite athletes have walked through our doors and by elite, I'll say college and beyond and move horribly or horribly stiff, horribly unstable, have horrible movement patterns. Do not assume because they are at a high level of athletics, they are at a high level of movement or uh, strength or stability or patterning, right? They ultimately just could be very gifted at a few things and are usually really great. Um, they're exceptional at hiding their compensations. So we see this with everybody. It's not just young, okay? But the big three, dealing with that posture, right? So we talked a lot about that lumbopelvic hip complex. We talked about spine position, the pattern, right? And we're looking at acceleration. Biggest three linear speed compensations I can give you that, that will have the biggest bang for your buck is dealing with those first 10 yards, that acceleration portion of linear speed and fixing stuff in there. So posture in that phase, pattern in that phase. phase. Are, they, are they using that cyclical pattern? Are they using a piston pattern? Okay. And then the last one, the performance. Great. I got the posture. I got the pattern. I stink on the field. We've got to give them context for that performance, making sure that they're getting uh, the, the contextual interference or focus really that we want them to have so that they can do that on the field. They've been able to do it in moving from a close to an open skill, responding to people, bowl, whistle, um, visual, verbal sorts of cueing, okay, auditory sorts of cueing. And you know, like going back to that power, or sorry, that pattern one there, they've got the reps in. We gotta, you gotta get the reps, right? Is it 10 years, 10,000 hours? I don't think so. But we gotta get some reps in there to make sure that they get over to motor learn before we give them all this crazy context, okay? So those are the big ones there. Hope that was helpful. Hope that made some sense to you and you were able to take away some good cues that clean up that stuff, some good patterns that clean up that stuff, some good uh, drills and some good strength uh, exercises that you can do, strength uh, patterns uh, that you can do and progressions that will help clean up some of these issues. Once again, there's my information there, Chris at prevailconditioning.com. There's our website um, on Instagram and uh, LinkedIn, Facebook. Uh, we got some stuff on YouTube as well, if that's helpful for you. Uh, so please reach out to me. Love to stay in touch with you. So thankful that you were able to spend some time with me today. I hope you guys have a great Optima uh, convention, have a great experience doing it this way for the first time. Uh, we've been so thankful for the organization that's allowing us to do these videos and, and what a great job they've done for us. I think there was a guy that drove an hour today to give me a plug, which is amazing. I couldn't believe that he did that, but they've done a great job for us. So I'm excited for you guys and thankful that we could do it this way this year. Lastly, oh, just my references here at the end. So I'll, I'll leave that up for a moment, but thanks you guys. Uh, have a great workshop. Hopefully, um, see you next year in person and uh, hopefully next year, uh, not only at the Optima convention, but potentially at some NASM live workshops. Thank you guys for your attendance and I uh, look forward to seeing you soon.